This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in Melbourne's CBD. Today's big question, is mindfulness the answer to our problems? To help us think more about this, we have Mark Trench join us. Mark is Learning and Development Manager at St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne. He's had extensive experience in management and leadership development and is a Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Practitioner and Accredited Coach. And he joins me now. Please welcome Mark Trench. Well, Mark, welcome to Bigger Questions. It's great that you can join us here today. That's great to be here, Rob. Uh, that's good. Now, you're a Myers-Briggs personality type practitioner. So does that mean that you work out what personality type everyone is when you meet them? Uh, I, I, I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> in, in, inevitably, I do. That's how it works. But sure. No, I, ethically, I shouldn't. But, okay. So what, yeah. what am I? What's my personality type? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a go. This is unethical. Okay. I'm not for the, I'm not <laughs> okay. for the minutes. It could well be edited um, out. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm going to guess you as a e preference, mm-hmm. probably a sensing preference, mm-hmm. probably, uh, I think, a feeling preference, mm-hmm. and probably a J preference. Well, you're half right. I think I'm an ENTJ. But anyway, it's not too bad. So maybe a little round of applause for uh, pa- getting at least the E preference right, which means I like talking. So I better make sure I get to actually ask yeah, the questions. Yeah, yeah. So what's your personality type? Uh, I, I'm an ESTP. So what does that mean? It sounds like a, yeah, uh, you're about look, to call off Basically, I, I have a, a preference for extraversion, so mm-hmm, hence, Same as me. Uh, you will ask the question if I let you in to right. ask the question. <laughs> okay. um, I have a sense and preference. I like to see data in the form of the senses. I have a thinking preference. And I am, my P preference means I'm slightly less inclined to be structured and organised, hence you need to direct me sure, in I'll, this. Sure, <laughs> I'll be directing you. I have questions written down here, yeah, so I'll make yeah, sure. Good. Now, apparently you're exactly the opposite personality to your wife. Is that, that's true? It, it, it is true. Yeah. Um, so is that opposites attract? Uh, where do you start with that? <laughs> um, I, I think it's helpful. I would say opposites complement. Um, so where I have a less preference, my wife Mandy is immensely helpful mm-hmm. and vice versa. Right. Okay. Now, as a part of bigger questions, we also like to ask some smaller questions. And today we're talking with Mark Trench about mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is a way of coping with stress. So Mark, in today's quiz, I'm going to test you on how much you know about workplace stress. Do you feel qualified uh, at all? I, I, I guess so. <laughs> give it a go, Rob. Let's okay, we'll give we it go. a go. Yeah, yeah. Two questions, both multiple choice. <laughs> Question one. According to the American Institute of Stress, what is the main cause of workplace stress? Is it A, workload, B, people issues, C, wondering if my computer will boot up, or D, missing out on catching all the Pokemon around your <laughs> office? Uh, undoubtedly, it is B. It's people issues. Uh, or it could be A. So actually, according to this uh, American Institute of Stress, A is the workload is the largest cause of stress. You're looking puzzled there. That's not your experience? Mm, it's not my experience. Oh, but okay. Well, there's a story. There's a stats. You said you're like, well, this, this, oh, has yeah. got, this has got the numbers here. If this it's is, researched and empirical. Well, it was on the internet. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's researched and empirical. So, that's right. So apparently, workload causes 46% of stress, people issues 28%. Juggling work and personal lives, 20%. Lack of job security, 6%. So that's very interesting that you disagree with this. But is the American Institute of Stress. Maybe things are different 
in the United States. Anyway, question two. I think you might do a bit better in this one. According to the American <laughs> Institute of Stress, what percentage of workers feel stress on the job? Is it A, 0% with all the time-saving devices and generous bosses we have, no one ever feels stressed at work? Is it B, 24%, around a quarter of workers feel stress on the job? C, 60%, a bit over half, or D, 80%, most workers feel stress on the job? Yeah, depending on how you define stress, I would say 80%. And I'm glad you said that as well, because the answer is D, 80%. Congratulations, you've passed. Apparently, 80% of workers feel stress on the job, and nearly half say that they need help in learning how to manage stress. The survey also found that 25% have felt like screaming or shouting because of job stress. And astonishingly, 14% uh, felt like striking a coworker in the past year, but didn't. <laughs> have you ever felt like striking or screaming at a coworker? Or maybe you shouldn't say. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes I have actually. <laughs> right, okay, well, that's, uh, let's move on. <laughs> we don't want to explore that too much. So, Mark, in our workplace stress quiz, you got one out of two correct. correct. You passed, so a big round of applause Woo! for Mark. So, Mark, as you said, nearly half of workers need help in learning how to manage stress. Is this, is what, is this what is driving people to mindfulness? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I also think the reduction in the nine to five day. Mm -hmm. um, you leave work now and work goes with you on the train, mm -hmm. on the tram, on the Monash freeway, where you're taking conference calls on your hands free. So I, I, I do believe that it's workplace demands, stress and also increased expectancies and, yeah. and people just feeling as if they need to accommodate work when work demands of them. Yeah. So people are using mindfulness, but what exactly is mindfulness? Yeah, m m mindfulness, it's got such a broad spectrum. Um, at its theoretical level, it is a means of being in the present. So mindfulness is about putting aside the future and the past and thinking about where you are in the present exploring your emotions, exploring your feelings, exploring um, what is going on around you without putting any judgment call or making any values judgment about um, that which you are experiencing. Mm -hmm. It's almost being, we use the term being present and feeling and exploring what is going on with you mm -hmm. in the context that you're in. Right. Um, yeah, so... But, but it, ha it has such a, a wide degree of, of ways of doing it, yep. stretching from very simple mindfulness tools to very complex cognitive behavioral therapy, coaching and, and things like that. So, yeah. Because mm. at some level, it's like meditation in some level. Would that be fair to say? Meditation is part of mindfulness, but to equate mindfulness only with meditation is probably being a bit disingenuous to, okay. to what it is. But certainly at the deeper level, meditation mm. would be something that would right. be... So how does it work? First of all, you, you have to be in the present. You have to be experiencing something. So, for example, I need to be aware of everything that's going on. I need to be feeling the now, not thinking about what I'm going to say next or what your next question is, mm -hmm. but actually what's happening now taking into account everything that's happening, then feeling that, and then without putting any judgment on it, deciding what I do with these feelings. And it's about clearing your mind of clutter. It's about being 
absolutely present so that you don't miss any detail and you don't put a value judgment on something. So, for example, becoming paranoid about someone looking at their mobile phone or, you know, you, 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 you acknowledge it, but you don't put a value on that. You just deal with it mm. in the here and now. Um, so it's something that you best done with your eyes shut? Uh, it, it, not, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, some, some would advocate that. Uh, certainly, the mindfulness that I've tried... Um, and, and again, these are tools. It's not just one tool. It's a range of different tools across a range of different levels. Um, you can do it with your eyes open because actually your eyes open, you get data through your eyes. So mm -hmm. to close your eyes, you would be not getting certain data, which would be useful. And so the busyness and complexity of our modern lives drives people to mindfulness as, a, as an answer or as a tool? Yeah, I think it does. I, I, I think people, people certainly now in, the, in this day and age have a desire to be back in control. I, I think there is a genuine perception, certainly in the busy workforce, that people are no longer completely in control. Mm. And mindfulness is a means that some people would say, reclaim some control over your thinking, over your behavior, your actions, and, and drives you to be in control of your decisions rather than external factors. Um, deciding how you should behave. It, it, and certainly in the modern world, which is so busy, so cluttered, as you've said, a, a lot of people like that because they feel, I'm now back in control. Mm. Now, numerous mm. workplaces around the world, such as Google, Apple, Sony, and mm. Ikea, have adopted mindfulness or meditation as part of their employee packages. So why do you think organizations around the world are promoting mindfulness to staff? Yeah, I, I think, well, first, firstly, and, and you could Google this if you wished, I mean, there is empirical research that shows that staff happiness, staff uh, motivation, intrinsic motivation, staff um, well -being. satisfaction, well-being, has a, has a real return in terms of performance, output, and, you know, um, business goals being achieved. So that would be the first reason. <coughs> And, and so it makes for happier staff, effectively. It makes for happiest. And, and secondly, I, I rather cynically think that I think some workplaces, it's a means of compensating for taking control from staff <laughs> by giving them something back. That would be the cynic in okay. me, I would say that. Sure. But, now, Mark, yeah. you've tried mindfulness. Yeah. Tell us, what was your experience? Yeah, I, I've done this a few times. I've actually delivered sessions with mindfulness in. I, I think as a tool, I, I found it not unhelpful. Now, just let me clarify what I mean by that. Um, I found the idea of putting aside external distractions and reflecting and being in the moment helpful. Um, however, there is a point for me personally, as a sense and preference personality, mm -hmm. where the it gets a little bit off the scale. And once you start imagining walking on a beach and that sort of stuff, I tend to... Uh, well, you're from the UK, uh, so yeah, walking yeah, on a beach doesn't have much appeal to that anyway. Uh, uh, 33 degrees in London <laughs> yesterday, Rob. Come on, don't be unfair. <laughs> well, yeah. you're a Myers-Briggs type practitioner, so what can the journey inward help us with? Yeah, again, there's nothing wrong with self-reflection. I just want to be clear about that. Nothing wrong with thinking through and looking inward. Um, for example, Myers-Briggs, you use the example of my wife. My, my wife and I are different on the thinking-feeling uh, spectrum. And, and it was really useful to understand why my wife um, 
responded differently to my showing love and care a certain way. And how did that happen? She was really unwell. In She lived in South London, I lived in West London, and she was really unwell. She rang me up, really upset, distressed, and she said, I'm really unwell, distressed. And me being loving and caring, and she is listening, hopefully, um, <laughs> being loving and caring, I, I asked her these great questions. Have you rang the doctors? Have you got food in the house? Have you told your flatmate that you're unwell? You know, have you rang work to say you're not going to be in? And she responded by saying, why don't you just love me and care? And I said, I am. And, and th- th- so inward looking, uh, th- this Myers-Briggs thing allowed us to see that actually I do love her, I do care for her, but the way I show it was different. And it allows me now to take that into account when... I'm communicating mm. with her. So what are the, some of the problems then with mindfulness? Sure, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with taking time out to disengage and remove stress? No, no, there isn't. And I, and I think if you keep mindfulness as a tool, I, th- I think, I th- I think it, it can be helpful. The, the problem with mindfulness, I think, is that people, like all tools, whether it's Myers-Briggs, whether it's your chainsaw, if you take the tool out of context, it can actually become dangerous. And it can take you down um, a pathway to looking for the answer to life's problems internally and taking you to your inner self, to being able to solve your own problems. And I, and I think, as a, as a Christian, I think that's a, a dangerous route to go down. So I, I would, yeah, I think anything that, that doesn't acknowledge the root cause of problem, stress, and challenge as being sin um, and, and the sinful world in which we live, I think is a, is a dangerous route to go down, mm. that we can solve our own problems. And we'll get to that just in yeah, a, a yeah, second. Yeah. So yeah. as you said, mindfulness is a useful tool. Um, what do you think people using mindfulness are ultimately looking for? Oh, I, I think they're looking for a, a number of things. I think they're looking for peace. I think they're looking for motivation. They're looking for inspiration. They're looking for direction. They're looking for control. They're looking for all of the things that they feel the world is taking away from them. Mm. They're going back to it and saying, this, this mindfulness, if I just focus me on me, I can reclaim that. And I think that's when the danger of mindfulness becoming the answer rather than the tool to explore the answer. But as you said before, you're a Christian person which t- talks about this thing called sin or this, this journey inward is not always pleasant. So do you want to explain a bit more on what you mean by that? The Gospel of Mark tells us very clearly that um, the, the writer talks about the heart. In, in, in Christian terms, the heart means your being, your inner, the, the whole of you, your, your, your very nature. Um, out of the heart comes everything that is bad. So I think we need to be careful about going inward to look for the solution when actually the Bible tells us it is that which is in which is the problem. Mm. But you're a nice-looking guy, you know. If you've got time, on, Rob. you've got. You're not, you're, you're not my type. <laughs> no, but. no, it's okay. I, I know. I've just, I, I realised that already. Um, but surely you, you can't say that the problem's not within. Yeah, I, I can. I mean, um, again, if you you look at your reactions to things, you look at what comes out of you: the greed, the pride, the selfishness. Um, that's my testimony, really. That um, you know, it was through understanding God and his character and his holiness that I realise how sinful I am and to then go back to inner me to try and solve my problems 
is, is actually going to the very problem to try and solve the problem mm. with the problem. As part of bigger questions, we also look at the Bible, for perhaps surprisingly, it offers answers to big questions. But before we do that, we're interested to hear about why you believe the scriptures are worth following. So Mark, you've alluded to it already, but what convinced you to become a Christian believer? Yeah, well, I, I was brought up in a Christian family, uh, brought up in the church, but it wasn't really until you get real challenge in life that your whole basis of your life is challenged. And, and um, my dad died when I was 17 of bowel cancer, a very awful death. Um, and my mom died when I was 25 of the, of the same condition. And in my early 20s, late teens, you think, why does horrible things happen to Christians? You know, are we somehow exempt from all that? Um, so then after my mom died, I, I really explored what the Bible said about, you know, challenge, what it said about horrible things, about sin. And um, yeah, got a lot of comfort from the fact that actually God provides the answer through Christ. Mm -hmm. But there was a moment you mentioned to me before about your mum when you were in the midst of this challenging difficulty. My mum was on her deathbed and I went to her two days before she died and, and, and being a very unemotional Geordie like I am, I held her hand for the last time and, and she died. And then I had to go away and think, what on, what on earth has just happened here? And then interestingly, I read uh, some notes my mum had left in the front of her Bible. I've actually got them at home now. I was showing my wife the other day. And how much faith my mother had, despite her condition, despite being dying of cancer, she had so much faith in her Lord. And then it drove me to the scriptures to say, what, what does the Bible promise those who are Christians? Not health and wealth in this life, but a future inheritance. So, Well, the part of the Bible we're reflecting on today comes from the Gospel of John, one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we had. And Jesus said once to his disciples in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Mark, what's Jesus promising here? The first thing you have to do with the Bible is not take one verse out of context. So we very quickly look back to John 13. Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to go away. He's telling them that one of them is going to betray him. And imagine what the disciples were thinking then. You know, this Lord who they'd spent three years or so serving and seen him do all these miracles was going to leave them? Replicate that in the workplace today. Your manager who you've <laughs> trusted for so long then says, I'm going, by the way, and someone, one of you lot is also going to betray me. So Christ is offering them assurance about what he's going to do for them after he leaves them. And uh, the important verse for that really is the preceding verse where it talks about Jesus saying, I will send you the Holy Spirit who will teach you all things, who will remind you of the words that I've said. Mm -hmm. And um, does that mean that they're not going to suffer trouble? Well, we all know that 11 of the 12 future apostles died unnatural deaths, rather horrible ones. Right. But they trusted Christ so much that he would be with them and would leave his word that would enable them to understand what was going mm. on. The says yeah. it is he's leaving peace with them yeah, as yeah. well. So what is the peace that he's offering? Yeah, the, the peace that Christ offers is the assurance of who God is and who Christ is. The assurance that your sin can be forgiven. The assurance that if you come to him, put your faith in him, um, he will give you his Holy Spirit 
and his Holy Spirit will teach you all things about him. And the, so the, the, the peace that Christ offers isn't a sort of meditative peace. It, it's a peace of assurance. Mm. It's a peace knowing where you're going, knowing that you've been forgiven. Mm. Your past sins have been forgiven. Your present situation is temporary and your future position in heaven is absolutely mm. assured if you put your faith in him. But having that future assurance or that future peace would all have to affect the way you live today, the peace that you may feel in a, in a sort of a more meditative sense, perhaps. Yeah, it does. And if you look at the, the book of James or the book of 1 Peter, you see that the, the, it talks very clearly about as a Christian, you will suffer trials. But what does it say about those? It says, actually, those trials are useful because they show the very depth of your faith. They give you more assurance because you are expecting them and Christ mm. gives you the promise that he will be with you. So how is this, this peace helpful to the busy worker? Any number of examples. I, I've, I've had many uh, trials and tribulations at work a couple of years ago in, in a previous employer. Very difficult situation. But this, this peace is known that God is in absolute control over everything that is going on in your life. You can be absolutely 100% confident in God through Christ. Why? Because Christ died to save those who will put their faith in him. So, um, so how yeah. did that help you in your, your difficult situation? Yeah, it's like, okay, well, you pray, mm -hmm. you commit it to God, um, you read his word more, mm -hmm. you understand what the Christian response to trial and tribulation is, um, you know, which is to, that, to rejoice in the Lord, to be absolutely assured in him, to have the joy of the Lord. Mm. Um, does that mean you skip and jump and frolic your way through life's tribulations? Absolutely not. But the peace of God is found in his word through his son, Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, the Bible encourages us not to simply meditate and look inwards to help with our stresses and troubles, but to trust in one outside and to speak to God in prayer. Now, in another part of the Bible, in a letter by the Apostle Paul to the church uh, in Philippi, Paul writes in Philippians uh, 4, 6 and 7, <clears throat> Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. So what's this saying? Is this saying that we get everything we ask for, as if you become a Christian? There are some Christians who, who would say that. Uh, it's certainly not what I believe. I don't believe the Bible teaches that either. I mean, 1 John 5 tells us very clearly that we should pray in accordance with God's will. So the important thing about prayer is you need to match it with God's word. Prayer on its own, without understanding God's word, mm -hmm. makes it very hard to pray. So what does it say about the mind, though? Are we bypassing the mind? Or no, absolutely not. If you, if you read verse 8, verse 8 is very clear about that. It, it talks about thinking on the things of God, thinking on that which is good, holy, helpful, pure. And, and what it's saying there in verse 8, which is the verse after verse 7, obviously, is that you don't bypass the mind, you think on God. Because only God is pure, only God is holy, only God is excellent, good, wholesome. Um, so you are to meditate on God's word, to know more about God. And then in doing so, the more you know about God, the more you will pray in accordance with God's will. And the more you will be assured of God's 
faithfulness to you. Mm. So the Bible and prayer can't be removed from each other. Mm. So this passage also talks about just not being anxious, but presenting our requests to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends our or over, is overall understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. So what does this peace look or feel like to you? Yeah, it, go, it goes back to what I was saying b- before, really. It's an assurance. And I think that's the best way to describe it. You know, when you're just really, really stressed and, and you're all anxious, but you just know the big picture is that you are safe, that you are secure. You know, I, I imagine it like you're in a really bad storm. The wind is blown. We've had bad storms in Melbourne and everything is shaking around outside. But you know where you are, you are safe and secure because you know you are being looked after. Mm. That, that, that's the way I would describe it. It doesn't mitigate necessarily the challenges and stresses, but it gives you a deeper assurance of that which is in your corner, mm. which, is, which is God. Now, a couple of questions yeah, have yeah. Come, come in. Mindfulness sounds more practically helpful. What's practically helpful about meditating on God? I'll give you one example of this mm-hmm. very quickly. Yep. Um, about five years ago, I was in Newcastle, where I'm from, um, and uh, I just really did not get on, on with my boss. I know it's hard to believe, but I didn't. We had a we had an absolutely terrible relationship. Now, I spent about seven or eight months praying for a new job, and that sounds great, but actually, what dawned on me through reading the Bible was actually what should my response be to that as a Christian? And then I thought, I'll pray for my boss. And I'll pray that I, in this situation, can be more Christ-like. And actually, it's that which is important to the Christian. It's to show Christ-likeness, to show witness, and to show that, you know, that... that the, the truth of Christ is applicable in the workplace. Mm. And I started doing that. Now, yeah, it was about three more months till I got a new job. But what I learned about me as a Christian was more important than getting a new job. Mm. And it made a difference. It, it, it did, because actually I become more content mm. because I was doing what I'm commanded to do in the Bible. So, Mark, is mindfulness the answer to our problems? <sighs> oh... How many levels could that be asked on? Um, You've got about 30, at, 30 at, seconds. At, at, right, at a <laughs> big level, no, it's not. However, at, at, as a tool, I think it's useful. I, I do enjoy, believe it or not, sitting in the bath with candles a couple of times a week, just putting the world outside and just thinking through things. As an extrovert. As a preference extroversion, I force <laughs> myself to do that. Um, it's, as a tool, it's not unhelpful. But if it becomes that which will give you what you're looking for, it's not the answer. It can help you find the truth in the Bible. Mm. Let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, is mindfulness the answer to our problems? From John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Mark Trench. Thanks for listening to Bigger Questions. If you want to be part of the live audience or subscribe to the podcast, go to biggerquestions.org.